This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello, friends, and welcome back. Well, I'm very glad today that we return to this discussion of covenants, and I'm especially happy today to be talking about the new covenant. And we're going to take a close look at this new covenant. Next time, I'll compare and contrast the different covenants, how they relate to one another, and how they relate to us. In my previous two talks, I did an introduction to the idea of covenants in the Bible, the covenants between God and man. And then last time, I spoke about four of the covenants that we see in the Old Testament. And I started this study on covenants because... I really wanted to know what they are and which ones apply to me. It was a very personal search. I had heard others talk about covenants, but it wasn't clear to me really what the Bible said about covenants. Just a few days ago, I attended a small group meeting, and we watched a video where a seminary teacher was talking about creation and the first several chapters of the book of Genesis. And the professor said that there is an Adamic covenant And she talked about the covenant with Adam. If you've been listening to my previous talks, you'll realize that I don't believe there is an Adamic covenant. God doesn't call that a covenant. Nowhere in the scriptures is that relationship between God and Adam called a covenant. So I'm not comfortable calling it a covenant if God himself hasn't called it that. Though I understand that people see elements of covenants or they use that term to help bring definition to their understanding of what happened in creation, and then the fall. So I had two main questions that are related to this when I started my study. How many covenants are there? And how many covenants apply to Christians today? If you haven't listened to my previous two talks, please go back and listen to those because they are very necessary to get us up to where we are now as I talk about the new covenant. There are five covenants between God and man that are listed in the scriptures. And all five of these covenants are connected with people. Last time I spoke about four of them that are found in the Old Testament and also come into force in the Old Testament. The first one was made with Noah, the Noahic covenant. The second covenant was made with Abraham. The third made with Moses and the Israelites. This one is called the law. It's also called the Old Covenant. And there's a covenant that was made with David and his descendants, the Davidic covenant. All of those four are in the Old Testament. All are called covenants, and all come into effect in the Old Testament. Also in the Old Testament, there is mentioned the new covenant. And that's what we're going to look at today. And that is associated with the Messiah. And Jesus himself claimed to be bringing in this new covenant. So the Messianic covenant is what we're talking about today. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, this new covenant is introduced. When I first learned this, it kind of surprised me because I assumed that the new covenant was introduced and discussed for the first time in the New Testament writings. But that's not true at all. In Jeremiah chapter 31, God says that there is a new covenant coming. Today I'm going to read quite a bit of the scriptures. I think if you're like me, there are probably quite a few scriptures that you often hear referred to, but 
we don't really just read them through. And so I'll take the time today to read through some of these because I think this discussion of the new covenant is one of the most important things that we can consider as followers of Jesus. There is so much confusion between the Mosaic covenant and the new covenant, and things get mixed up and confused, and people who don't understand these things well can give themselves to things that are really meaningless, or they can act as if they're under this old law when there's a new thing that God has brought to us. So here in Jeremiah 31, I'll read. And listen for how many times God says, I will. This is his covenant, and these are the things that he is going to do. It has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with my ability or my expectation or my understanding. He is the one who does it. It comes from him. Again, starting in verse 31 of Jeremiah chapter 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will no longer teach again, each man his neighbor, and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. That is God's introduction to the coming new covenant. And I want to underscore a few things that are in this text. First of all, as I said, he says that he will do this, and it is a new covenant. And he says it's not going to be like the Mosaic covenant, which we discussed last time. It's a covenant that they broke very quickly, within a a day or so. And God says, although I was a husband to them, God's covenants with human beings are like marriage commitments. And God sees himself as being a husband to us. And of course, we have that imagery all through the scriptures. And in the New Testament, we understand there's going to be a a big feast where the bride and the groom meet together, where Jesus and his bride, the church, come together fully and purely. So God says this new covenant is unlike the old covenant. And he says the markers of this new covenant are going to be that he is going to write his law within his people, on their hearts, as opposed to on stone tablets. And he says that everybody's going to know him. You won't have a priestly class anymore that stands between us and God and says, this is how you know God, because everyone is going to know him. Every person will have access to the Father from the least to the greatest. So, again, here in the Old Testament, we see this promise of a new covenant that will not be like the Mosaic covenant. So there was a problem with the Mosaic law, and it's a problem that we only see because God gave the law and laid out this perfect law. Inside us, we're rebellious people, and that is true of every person on earth. People are rebellious And God has to do more for us than just tell us 
the right way to live. That's what we see in the Mosaic Law. He was telling his people how to live, but he didn't promise to help them live that way. And that's one of the lessons of the Mosaic Law, is that we just cannot keep God's perfect will in our own strength. It cannot be done. So then God said he would have to make a new covenant, and one that was on the inside rather than on the outside. There's one thing that the Mosaic Law could not do, and that is make a bad person into a good person. In this new covenant, here in Jeremiah chapter 31, there are really three things that God says that he will do. And the first, as I mentioned, is that he'll write the law on our hearts. And that'll make us want to live right, to desire to be righteous and holy. And that gives us an inclination towards him from the inside. He also promises intimacy, a knowledge of the Lord that everyone will have. You will know him. You'll know when you're pleasing him. You'll know when you're upsetting him. We will be intimate with the Lord. All will know him. He promises that. And he also promises forgiveness, innocence, forgiveness for the past, and you can know that you're innocent in God's sight. So these three things, an inclination to follow his ways, intimacy with him, knowledge of him, walking with him, and also the promise of forgiveness. These three things are completely new in the Bible. It really is a new covenant, unlike any other covenant. The last part of this scripture says, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. He promises to forget your sin. That is completely new totally new, and it's beautiful. I've heard it said that humans have a memory, but God has a forgettery, <laughs> that he is able to forget sin. That's what he says. He says, under this new covenant, I will remember their sin no more. That is remarkable. It's beautiful, and it's totally new. It is completely new. And this new covenant that was to bring forgiveness would not be possible if Jesus had not died. Jesus had to die because God is so righteous and so good and so fair that he cannot forgive sin until it has been paid for. He does not forgive sin unless it has been paid for. And Jesus paid for our sins. In the Mosaic Law, regularly sacrifices were needed to continually cover and atone for the sins of the people, constantly. But Jesus pays for these sins one time forever, and that is the institution of the new covenant. God says, I will forgive their sins and remember those sins no more. And that's amazing. God will not remember your sins. So in Jeremiah, we see the promise of this new covenant that we can live intimately with God, that we receive innocence as a result of the death of Christ the Messiah. We have an inclination in his ways that is the result of the receiving of the Holy Spirit. Intimacy with God, innocence as the result of the death of Christ, and an inclination as a result of receiving the Spirit. 
And this intimacy is eternal life. In the scriptures it says, this is eternal life, to know God and Jesus who he sent. That's eternal life. Well, we'll start with these questions again. Who is this covenant made with? This covenant is made with everyone who has faith. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile, because we are grafted in, and finally to the Jewish nation. This covenant is with all who have faith. Well, what was offered? What did God promise to do? We just looked at Jeremiah, and that gives us the what, that this covenant will be internal and individual. It's a covenant on the inside, and it's not concerned with a nation, but with individuals. It is actually a covenant with individuals. We will each know him. And we enter into this covenant through faith. Well, in Ezekiel, we can learn the how. How is he going to do this? Jeremiah told us the what. Well, let's look at what Ezekiel says. We find this in a couple of places in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19, we read, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. There's a then in the middle at the beginning of verse 20. God says, I will give my people an undivided heart and I will put a new spirit in them. I'm going to take out their heart of stone and I'll give them a heart of flesh. And then, because of that, they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Because of what he is doing by giving us this heart of flesh and this new spirit within. Also, in Ezekiel chapter 36, we read, I'll start at verse 22 and read on down and then we'll see more about this new covenant. And it's important what he says in verse 22 that leads us up to this statement of the new covenant. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them, And then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. There, starting in verse 26, we see again this coming new covenant, how God is going to do it. He says, I will put a new heart in you. I'll put a new spirit in you. I'm going to take out your heart of stone. I'll give you a heart of flesh. And here he says, I will put my spirit in you, and my spirit will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. First, God says he's going to renew the human spirit, and second, he says that he will place that divine spirit within his people. 
a new human spirit and the divine spirit. And that's how he will make this internal change, something that the Mosaic law couldn't do. Well, we know the what of the new covenant and how it will be done, but who will do it? Well, several Old Testament prophets talk about this coming king, the Messiah, and hope was put into this coming king. And in Isaiah, we see who will bring this about, this coming king, this Messiah. Isaiah saw two aspects of this coming king. I think this will probably be familiar to many of you, but I also want to take time to read through what Isaiah says about these two aspects of the Messiah. First, in Isaiah chapter 9, I'll start reading in verse 1, and I think a big chunk of this will be familiar to many of us. Again, let's take time to understand what God is revealing about the Messiah, the coming King. Nevertheless, there will be no gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So that's a statement of one aspect of this coming Messiah. He is going to sit on David's throne in fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's one aspect of the Messiah who is coming to usher in this new covenant. And another aspect is found at the end of Isaiah 52 and going on into chapter 53. And here is another image of this coming king. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted, just as there were many who were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told they will see, and what they have not heard they will understand. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. 
Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. And yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That's the end of Isaiah chapter 53. So here we see this other aspect of the coming Messiah. The first aspect is this conquering king, and the second aspect is a suffering servant who would die for the sins of the people. And to this day, Jews cannot bring those two things together, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, and the suffering servant. And yet Jesus is both. He is both the sovereign and the servant. Well, what were the terms of this covenant? What is expected of the people who would step into this covenant with God? Faith. That's what's expected. But it's not just inwardly faith. It's a faith in action. And this is a faith just as James talks about. Faith that works. Not works of the law. It's works that are the result of having a living faith these actions of faith. We're not saved by our works. We're saved, and then this fruit of our salvation is action. It's a living faith. The first step of this life of faith is repentance and then putting our faith in the Messiah, really handing our lives over to Jesus, the Messiah. Remember the scripture says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. Well, here we come back to the number 3,000. You remember last time I mentioned that 3,000 people died as Moses came down from the mountain and gave the law. People were disobedient quite quickly, and 3,000 perished on that day. On the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, people asked Peter, What shall we do? What action do we need to take? And Peter said, Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the new covenant, right? This is the new covenant. To repent and be baptized, 
receive that forgiveness of sins, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that was promised in the new covenant, that God promises to give his people his divine spirit. So what about the 3,000? Some of you may not know this. Some of you may. Fifty days after the first Passover, Moses and the Israelites had left Egypt, and 50 days later they find themselves at the bottom of the mountain where the law is given. And that is called Pentecost. The word Penta there is related to the number 50. 50 days after that first Passover, the law is given, and 3,000 people perish because of their disobedience. Do you realize that on the same day that the law was given, hundreds of years later, the Spirit is given? On Pentecost. And people ask Peter, What shall we do? And he said, You're going to receive the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Spirit. And in the book of Acts, it says about 3,000 people believed and were baptized that day. The law brought death through disobedience. The Spirit brings life. It's this new covenant in contrast to the Mosaic law. 3,000 die as a result of disobedience under the Mosaic Law. 3,000 live, are given a new life as a result of their faith. In Hebrew and Greek, the words faith and faithfulness are actually the same word. There's no distinction between faith and faithfulness in Hebrew and Greek. In English, we can tend to think of faith as being a moment in time, a point of having faith and faithfulness as lasting over time, taking time. But there's no distinction between the two in the Bible. True faith is to go on believing. True faith is faithfulness. It persists. It goes on. Faithfulness is a condition of the new covenant. It's a lifetime of faith, not a moment of faith. Abiding in Jesus and having the Holy Spirit abide within his people this ongoing lifetime of faith. That's what God wants as a result of the new covenant. This is what his purpose is, to give us faithfulness, a lifetime of abiding in him and living by faith. Well, what was the penalty for anyone who would break this covenant? Is there a penalty? And now we come to actually a pretty controversial point. I'm really not sure how many of you would agree with me on this or not. But in my reading of the New Testament, people who are unfaithful can be cut off. There are lots of scriptures in the New Testament writings that indicate that if we don't abide in him, then we can be cut off. In Romans chapter 11, Paul is writing to Gentile believers about how we have been grafted into this olive root. So let me read here um, from verse 17 down through 22, I guess. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not boast over those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, well, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. That's true, granted. But they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and the sternness of God, 
sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. Now, that's pretty clear. Paul is saying that we've been grafted in, but if we don't abide by faith, God can also cut us off again. And we should consider the kindness and the sternness of God. He is stern to people who fall away and lose faith, but he's kind to people who uh, continue in his kindness. Otherwise, we can also be cut off. We must finish the race. We must abide in Jesus. And if we abide in him, then we're secure. This covenant is everlasting, and it gives everlasting light for those who keep the covenant. The covenant with Noah was made with Noah and all of creation and would last as long as the earth exists. The covenant with Abraham and his descendants is everlasting, that his faith is credited to him as righteousness, and our faith is credited to us as righteousness. The Mosaic covenant was temporary. It had a term, and it was limited. The Davidic covenant is eternal, and now we see this new covenant is also permanent. It goes beyond the destruction of this world and the heavens and the earth, and it goes off into eternity. It's eternal life, everlasting life for those who keep it. Well, now we come to the heart of my studies and the reason that I began this search. What is the relationship between the new covenant and the other four covenants? Which of these covenants apply to me today? Which of these covenants apply to you? And those are the questions that I will address in the next talk. And until then, my friends, may the Lord bless you and continue to reveal to you his pathways because his ways are very, very good and they always lead to peace for the soul. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening and God bless you all.